Gospels to 1 Samuel chapter 9. All right, well, in case you don't know, um, I have no time limit anymore for first service because we've moved the Sunday classes to Thursday night. So it opened up our ministry to you in the Word and in the altar time for first service to be as free as second service. So uh, even though I still have a countdown clock back there for the message, really, it's not going to stop us. So let me just... I'm going to be very careful because I'm looking around the room and I know a lot of you already know this, the stories, the, the two that I'm going to talk about, which is Saul and David at the beginning of this message. I know you um, are already well versed, I should say it that way, in their story. But allow me to just kind of um, refresh your memory in, in this. And I can't remember if it was in the this service, or if it was when I went and spoke at the camp for Love, Inc., um, that I even got into Saul's story a little bit more. So, again, I apologize ahead of time um, if you feel like this is his life story is a repeat. But I believe that, that God's word is living and active. And that the more we look into it, even into a story that we feel that we're familiar with, if we go with hearts open, with spirit open, with our mind open, that we are constantly going to see like a, a diamond, a new facet, and a new level of his glory in it, okay? So don't let familiar um, passages of scripture become mundane. There's more meat in there if you go hungry into God's word. Um, that's a freebie. So here we go. Saul's life. Um, we're going to pick up the story at the end of chapter 9, going right into 10, 11, and 12. And no, I'm not going to sit here and read three chapters to you. you I'm going to summarize for you. But when we look into starting at verse 27, um, the people that are mentioned here, Samuel and Saul, just as a refresher, Samuel was the prophet, Saul being just an ordinary individual who went out looking for his uncle's donkeys, as far as he knew, okay? But he went up into this town and ran into, actually his uncle said, hey, um, it, actually if you go to this one town, look for the prophet, because if you can't find the donkeys, seek the prophet, because again, remember, we read this in, I think it was John 15, where it says that the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. They knew this. The prophets can see because they're tuned into the Holy Spirit. Anything you, I have to be careful in saying that, into the future. Let's just say that, okay? Um, so he went and searched out Samuel. And at verse 27, as they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, because he had been sitting with him and telling him, all right, telling him what's to come. Samuel was already told by God, I'm going to bring the first king to you. 
All right? And you're going to anoint him. So he was spending time with Samuel. And then he, Samuel said to Saul, Hey, tell your servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And let me just reread that portion right there because out of the Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, it's actually, it says this, uh, over his people, not just over his inheritance, but over his people, Israel. You will reign over the Lord's people and save them from the power of their enemies round about. And this will be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you leader over his inheritance. And then Samuel goes on to tell him a bunch of things that are about ready to take place that are going to confirm this calling that God has placed on your life. And then so he lists all these things. And then into verse 9, he says, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Down in verse 14. And so everything that he, sorry, everything that Samuel said was going to take place took place and it confirmed what Samuel just told Saul. You're about ready to be then the first king of Israel. But then he went back to his uncle. Verse 14. Now Saul's uncle then asked him as soon as he came home. He asked him and his servant, hey, where have you been? Saul said, looking for the donkeys. Isn't that what you sent us out for? But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel, the prophet. So Saul's uncle said, well, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys have been found. Listen, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel said about the kingship. Going on, Samuel, the prophet, then summoned all the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen out of that clan. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has a man come up here? And the Lord said, yes. But he is hiding. He has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship, wrote them down on a scroll and deposited 
them before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. And Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. And then some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Going on. Then this guy came from this place, went up to this place, and all of this people said to him, make a treaty with us. Anyway, this guy came out in opposition against Israel and said, hey, you're all going to bow down to me or I'm going to gouge your eyeballs out, you know, and then you'll all be my slaves anyway. And they said, hey, hold on a minute. That don't sound too bad. But before you do that, let's just see if there's any anybody who will rescue us from your hand before you do this. Give us a couple days. He's like, okay, sure. So then they sent word among all the people. Again, this is after the king was anointed. But they sent word to all the people and said, hey, can anybody deliver us from this guy? Because he's about ready to gouge out all of our eyes and make us all slaves to him. Then down here, mm, ah, verse 3, the elders of this Jebesh said to him, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to our rescue, we will surrender to you. And you can go ahead and gouge our eye out. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. And he asked, what is wrong with the people? Why are they all weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. And then it says he took his ox and cut them up and sent them by FedEx to everybody and, you know, said, hey, if you don't rally behind me to go up against this guy. Um, we're going to go ahead and tear up your oxen too. All right. So everybody, it says that everybody turned out, all the men turned out as one man behind Saul. And actually it was 300,000 of Israel, 30,000 of Judah. So 330,000 men came and rallied behind him. And then Saul divided them into three divisions. And it said that in verse 11, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. <laughs> I love those words, slaughtered them. The people then said to Samuel, who was it that asked that Saul would reign over? Let's go get those men and let's kill them. How dare they say Saul can't be our king. But Saul said, no one will be put to death this day, for this is the day the Lord has rescued Israel. Listen, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kinship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. 
There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Keep reading right here. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Verse 2. Now you have a king as your leader. Well, wait a minute. They made him king days before this. Actually, it doesn't even give a, a count. Could have been months. Could have been years before this. But now, why? What changed? Conflict. In the face of conflict, a king arose. But see, he was anointed way back when. But everybody just kind of shrugged their shoulders and went back to their home and did their thing, did life. Eh. Right? He was out in his field, plowing. He had valiant men around him because God changed their hearts and said there's a king inside him. But it was conflict that brought it out. And we all run from conflict. We start feeling a little tension, a little animosity, a little tribulation, a, a little trial, and we run and, and blame God. Oh, God must hate me. I must have done something wrong. Yet it's in conflict that kings rise up. See, the title of today's message is Trusting Through Trials. Trials are there for a reason. Conflict is there for a reason. It's not because you've been bad. Or maybe it is. But they're there for a reason. You see, it was after anointed that he went about his routine. He just went back to doing life. You ever have a great altar experience? God's touched you powerfully. But then you just go back to your daily routine. Oh, I remember when. Boy, God was so good and he touched me. Okay, what have you done since then? Well, I go to work. Get up. I eat. I go to work. Go home. Sleep. Get up. So maybe you need a little conflict in your life. To call forth that king within you. Until that opposing army tried to take Israel captive. Then, then the Spirit of God came upon him in power. And it wasn't until this morning that God showed this to me, and we'll look at David in just a minute. With Saul, it wasn't until somebody opposed the people. The love for the people took precedent over his complacency. You can't do that to the people I'm supposed to be leading. You can't touch. You can't gouge out the eye of the people that I love. The love of the people had to take precedent over his comfort. You can't do Where's the mama and the papa bears in here? Where somebody comes and tries to touch your child. That you don't rise up in holy anger. You can't touch my kid. No, 
there's no way. We're supposed to have that kind of love for each other, for all people. Remember, love God, love others. Everything else hangs on those two. For Saul, it was loving others that finally made him stand up and say, you can't come against the people I love. Then the power of God came upon him. And he slaughtered, I love that word, slaughtered the enemy. I love that in that verse 2, or Samuel said, now you have a king as your leader. See, that conflict brought out that king within him because of the love he had for his people. And David, you all know the story, so I'm, not, I'm just going to, it's over in chapter 17. I'm just going to just allow me to just summarize it instead of reading it for you. David was anointed as king in his father's house in front of his brother, brothers. But then where did he go? Went back out in the field. Taking care of the sheep, right? Because then we jump ahead in his life. And when all his other brothers were called to war, were called into the army, where was David? He's still back with the sheep. Wait a minute. He was already anointed as king. Come on, people. Think about it. Put it in order here. See, we, we have, we've done such a disservice in our Sunday school stories that we forgot to put them in the timeline. See, we separate David anointed as king as this little story and David defeats Goliath as this little story. But they, when you put them in proper perspective, when you put them in the timeline, David was anointed as king but then went back to the sheep. In front of his brothers, in front of his father, this is the next king. Okay, now, brothers, you go off to war and, and fight with the king. And David, you go back to the sheep. Something wrong with that. But it was when his father then said, hey, take these cheese and crackers, David, to your brothers who are fighting out on the front lines. And give me a report about how they're doing and come back here. Wait a minute. David's anointed as king. Do you see this? So when he went to his brothers, he turned over the cheese and crackers to the guy taking care of the supplies and went and snuck into the battle lines. And oh, Here's all Israel's armies cowering behind these. I could just see them barricades, right? And they're hiding back there. And David's like, what's going on, guys? And all of a sudden, this great big man just, Goliath steps out and starts defying the very name of God and his army. And David's like, who is that guy? What's he saying? What's you guys doing down here? What's going on? Who is that? Conflict started raising up that king within him. You can't let him. What are you doing? You can't let him talk about God like that. What's going on? What are you guys doing? Can you hear him? Finally, some people said, you know what? Uh, uh, David's talking pretty big smack here. Um, let's pull him out and, and take him back here to Saul. And so David said, and let me, let me do, I, I need to read this part to you. 
Because when David was pulled out and taken to Saul, because he was talking smack about, you guys can't let him talk like that. What are you guys doing? Get up there. Go fight that guy. Are you not the army of God? Can you hear him saying stuff like that? What are you doing? I'm sure God was stirring that king in his heart. And so they picked up David. They took him to Saul and said, hey, here's your big warrior, this little boy, that sheep tender. And in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17, David said to Saul, this is King Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Conflict. Verse 36, David goes on to say, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Down in verse 46, Today I will go... Today I will give. Oh, so then David went out to the line. That's right. And then he declared to the Philistine. He stood up and said, Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Until the army of Israel was being opposed by Goliath. Then, then David rose up in God's strength. Then, and listen, this is the other part. God just showed me that this morning, that it was David's love for God that caused him to rise up. See, Saul, it was the love for the people. And David, it was the love for God. And David was even called by God a man after my own heart later on. David said, you can't speak about God that way. That's what drew that king out. That king was already in its heart. Every one of us have been seated with a kingly purpose. And sometimes it's only by conflict that it's brought out of us. If we don't cower before the conflict, the king will emerge. So conflict isn't something you run from, cower from. But it's something you stand up through. I mean, think about others who were not kings per se, but were powerful in their impact on the nation. Joseph. Think about Joseph. God gave him a dream, remember? His brothers didn't like the dream. His father didn't like the dream. Next thing you know, his brothers sold him into slavery. He was wrongly imprisoned. He was forgotten in prison. 
yet saved all of Egypt from the severe famine because he trusted God through the trials. He held on to the word that God planted in his heart. He held on to the dream that God gave him. He trusted God through the trials. Esther, orphan girl adopted by her uncle, saved her race from complete destruction, was told that she was born for such a time as this. Trusted God, if she would just do her part, she could trust God would do his part. Listen, love for God's people and love for God must be tested to be true. You can't say you love God and not love others. But you can't love God and not love others. You have to show it over and over again in the New Testament. You'll see that over and over again. You know, Jesus even said, I think it was in the proverb, that they say that they love me on their lips, but they prove that they don't by what they do. It can't be. True love has to be trusted to be true. Listen. You are commanded to love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. If you just focused on that, all this would be completed in you and through you. The whole Bible would be completed in you and through you. Our problem? We continue to love like the world loves. Our definition of love is based on the world's definition of love, which is selfish. I, I almost said a word that would get a big... <gasps> selfish to the core. I mean, have you heard people say when you're trying to counsel them or help them or just befriend them and you know that there's animosity in their relationship with whatever a spouse, let me just say a spouse... And you're trying to encourage them to just love them. Yeah, but you don't know what he's done. Yeah, but just love them. Oh, I don't have to love him till he. But you don't know what she's. All that just proves selfishness. Listen, if love was based on the recipient, we would all still be doomed to hell. God so loved the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So how dare we say we can withhold our love for our brothers, our sisters, our spouses. That is selfish to the core and straight from the pits of hell. It's the world's way of loving and it cannot be a part of our way of loving. Loving the way we're commanded to is 1 Corinthians 13. Nothing else. Nothing less. Oh, but he. Oh, but she. Oh, who cares? That's what the enemy wants you to love like. That you can only love or give him your heart or be patient or be kind or love or serve if he or if she does this. No, it's not. That's not love. And if we're supposed to love as Christ loved us, we would be dying more and living less. 
dying to what we want, dying to what. And let me tell you, this has been tested in me lately. And I didn't realize what the test was I was going through until the end of it. And it came out in this message that I thought had nothing to do with it. But my patience, my long-suffering, my believing good, believing the best, all those attributes of love have all been stretched and tested lately. Because I thought I was I thought I was doing well. I thought I, you know, you've heard me preach it. Love God, love others, love God, love others. It's all about love, 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 love. I thought I was living it. And then God tested it and I was broke. I cried out in my prayer time. God, I was so far from what true love really is. What was I thinking? Love doesn't just love when it's being loved. That's the world. That's selfishness. You've got to put yourself into that 1 Corinthians 13 and love as Jesus loved. Everyone, all the time, 24-7, no matter what. Well, what if they never love you back? Are there still others out there who don't love Jesus and yet he died for them? Then we're to continue to love. You're being tested. Let me not say tested. You're being tempered through trials to strengthen this vessel to contain all his glory all his power, all his blessing in you and through you. Trials. Trials are not something to run from. It's the testing ground for our trust, for our faith, for our vessel. Kings are created through conflict like trust is tested through trial. We are all created with a kingly purpose. You haven't discovered your purpose because you haven't surrendered to the fire. You keep running from the fire. You start getting close to conflict. You start getting close to the fire and you run from it. And he patiently waits. See, he has more for you. Like I, the illustration I used with the baby and the bottle. God has so many more blessings for you, so much more power for you, so much more of him he wants to pour in you. But if he does that, it's like putting a fire hose to a baby's mouth and that baby's body can't withstand it and it will, right? Kind of like the 22 gauge my dad took to a little squirrel one time to show me. No, sorry, that was horrible. It's just... No squirrel for dinner tonight. You can't contain it. You have to be tempted through the fire. Tempered through the fire. To get your vessel strong enough to withhold the blessing he has. Not just for you, but through you. 
the power. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the fullness of his deity wants to be where? Right here. The fullness of his deity. But if you try to pour that kind of blessing into a baby's body, and it will, it can't withstand it. The trials you are going through isn't because you're, you know, God hates you. You know, oh, woe is me, and I pray that it goes away. Well, fine, it's going to go away, but your vessel won't be tempered then. How can your vessel get stronger if you keep running from the fire? Purest gold is refined through that fire process. You've heard me read this story before. But I'll read it again because it's so appropriate right now in this message. It's a story of the blacksmith who gave his heart to God. Though dedicated in his living, still he was not prospering materially. In fact, it seems that from the time of his conversion, more trouble, affliction, and loss were sustained than ever before. Everything seemed to be going wrong. One day, a friend who was not a Christian stopped by the blacksmith's shop to talk to him. Sympathizing with him in some of his trials, the friend said, Boy, it seems strange to me that so much affliction should pass over you just at the time when you have become an earnest Christian. Of course, I don't want to weaken your faith in God or anything like that, but here you are. God's help and guidance, and yet things seem to be getting steadily worse. I can't help wondering why that is. The blacksmith did not answer immediately, and it was evident that, well, he had thought the same question before. But finally he said, You see here the raw iron which I have to make into horses' shoes? You know what I do with it? I take a piece and heat it in the fire until it is red, almost white with the heat. Then I hammer it unmercifully to shape it as I know it should be shaped. Then I plunge it into a pail of cold water to temper it. Then I heat it again and hammer it some more. And this I do until it is finished. But sometimes I find a piece of iron that won't stand up under this treatment. The heat and the hammering and the cold water are just too much for it. I don't know why it fails in the process, but I know it will never make a good horse's shoe. Then he pointed to a heap of scrap iron that was near the door of his shop. When I get a piece that cannot take the shape and temper, I throw it out on the scrap heap. It will never be good for anything. He went on. I know that God has been holding me in the fires of affliction, and I have felt his hammer upon me. But I don't mind if only he can bring me to what I should be. And so in all these hard things, my prayer is simply this. Lord, try me in any way you wish. Only don't throw me on the scrap heap. Your trials are testing your trust in God. They're tempering you for the much more God wants to give you. Not just for you, but through you. 
We are called warriors. Listen. Warriors. I love that. I love reading the Old Testament where it talks about the wars and the armies. And you think, oh, it's so bloody. Yes, I like it. I do. Because that slaughtering the armies, that, as in David's case, the triumphing over his armies. I love it. It brings out that warrior in me, in you, that God has placed there. We are called warriors for a reason. Ephesians 6 describes our armor. Why do we need armor if we're not in a war? 1 Timothy 6 says, fight the good fight. 2 Corinthians 10 describes the weapons we fight with. Zechariah 10.5 says together they will be like warriors battling trampoline warriors. And let me read that again. Together they will be like warriors in battle trampling their enemy into the mud of the streets. They will fight because the Lord is with them and they will put the enemy horsemen to shame. You are a warrior of God, for God, and with God. I like this show. I, I won't give the name of the show because whenever I do that, it goes south real fast. And then they're like, oh, Pastor Brenda watches that show. So far, it's a good show, but I'm not going to tell you what show it is. But I was just watching the season premiere of it, and Powerful line. I've told you before, cartoons can speak God's wonders to me. And this show, there's this uh, Navy student who's sitting before the Navy commander who's now teaching this vast classroom of greatness and taking your place and you are a warrior and, you know, here you are. And the student steps up after the class is dismissed, speaking to the commander. And he starts questioning him. You're, you know, what are you, what are you doing now? Now you're just, you know, you're a commander, but you're just teaching a class. He says, "Don't you ever miss?" And he says, "Miss what?" He's like, "The war." And the commander's like, "What are you talking about?" No, I don't miss the war. And he says, "Yeah, but you called us warriors." And then the student makes this comment. If we are warriors, without a war, what is a warrior to do? If we weren't in a war, why would we be called warriors? And if we're warriors, why do we run from the war? See, it's out of the trials that your vessel will be tempered. It's out of the conflict that the kings will arise. Well, I'm not a king. Yes, you are. We all are. Under the commanding officer. Oh, but I'm just the lamb. I'm the, I'm the peaceful one. You know, you can't be the lamb... And not be the lion also. Because the one in you is both the lion and the lamb. You are the lion 
and the lamb. You are the little anointed ones. You are his warriors. Trust has to be tested to be true. Trust God through the trials. Trust God through the fire. Trust God through the valley. Don't set up camp and start moaning and whining because the trials have come your way and your circumstances are all but perfect. Because it's those times that you're tested. It's those times that you're tempered. Your trust is tested, but your vessel is tempered to withstand the much more God has for you. So I've asked Crystal actually wrote a song just this last week. She told me about it. And when she explained the song to me, I'm like, oh, that is so the message I'm preaching for Sunday. Do you need the rest of your team up here or just you by yourself? Whoever? Okay. If nobody, you can do it by yourself. So while she sings this song that God just gave her, and I know God just gave her this song for us for today. Because it's about trusting. At the end of this song, I'm going to come back up. So I want you already to be thinking about it as you listen to this song. I'm going to call up those who are struggling to make it through their trial. You feel like this trial just is in this never-ending cycle and I need to get out of it. I need to get out of it. We're going to pray for you today. Not that you get out of it, but that you stand up through it. Through it. And I'm also going to call up those that you've been instilled with a kingly purpose, but you continue to go through life as you know it routine day in day out and it's time for you to rise up in that kingly purpose I'm going to call you up front when we're done as well and then we'll be opening the altars for healing ministry so do not leave actually Brian stand guard at the door nobody's leaving all right go ahead Crystal <laughs> 